0: The Old Testament reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 20. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn! How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low! You said in your heart, "I will ascend to heaven; I will raise my throne above the stars of God; I will sit on the mount of assembly, on the heights of Zaphon." I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down from Sheol to the depths of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities? Who would not let his prisoners go home All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you are cast out, away from your grave, like a loathsome carrion, closed with the dead, those pierced by the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial, because you have destroyed your land, you have killed your people, May the descendants of evildoers nevermore be named. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, if you've been uh, joining us over the summer, you know we're kind of midway through uh, a series in Isaiah. Um, If you're just joining us, we're midway through a series in Isaiah, and so you can go back and uh, catch up. Um, This week, we are looking at Isaiah 13 through 23, 10 chapters, Uh, so buckle up, could be a long sermon. I'm not saying it won't be, but we're not going to try and... Uh, touch on all the verses of these 10 chapters. Um, We've been working our way, uh, Isaiah 1 to 39, uh, over this summer, and then we'll come back and finish up the rest of Isaiah uh, next summer, uh, taking a look at that. We've been highlighting the themes of judgment and hope and remnant. Uh, this week's chapters, like I said, 13 through 23. It's a tough read. If you've already read in preparation for this, this morning, you know it, there's a lot there. It's a lot of um, oracles. It's a lot of um, Isaiah kind of looking into the future and seeing what's going to happen to all of these kingdoms around Judah and Israel. Uh, Cliff Notes version is, it's not good, okay? Okay. It's a a tough 10 chapters here as we're reading through a lot of place names, a lot of things happening, Um, and in these chapters in particular, um, hope is in small supply, and yet there is a word for us, there's a word we can hear and uh, think about for our own lives, for the way we interact with those around us. And so we're going to take a look at this passage uh, that Jan read for us this morning. That's where we're going to kind of focus our our thoughts uh, this morning. So as we come to the text, as we open up the word, uh, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. Would you speak to us through me, despite me, uh, always through your spirit and through your word we trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what we've been kind of reading about, thinking about in this series in Isaiah is a lot about the judgment that faces Judah. Um, Isaiah is kind of writing at a crossroads in Israel's history. The kingdom of David and 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 the golden age of David and Solomon, that kingdom project has, has not gone the way David and Solomon had hoped or thought that it might go. Kings and the people are not remaining faithful to Yahweh, to the covenant, or to their role as a blessed people in order to bless others. I think that's always something that, that I... Um, forget about, is, is that uh, in, the, uh, in Genesis, when uh, God chooses Abraham and says, I'm going to give you all these descendants, they're blessed in order to bless others. They're blessed in order that the name of Yahweh may be proclaimed in all the nations. And yet what often happened is they kind of took it and kept it to themselves. We're blessed, you're not Maybe we sit with that uh, as a church sometimes. Do we hear the good news and we say, this is for us, it's not for you? Much of what we've seen so far in Isaiah is judgment against Judah for their failures to be faithful to Yahweh, their failures to practice Yahweh's justice uh, around them. And so there's judgment that faces the kingdom of Judah and also the, the kingdom of, of Israel. Isaiah and other prophets see the rise of other kingdoms around them and empires around them as God raising up instruments of judgment against Israel and Judah. And so as they, they see uh, the kingdom of Assyria rising, they they recognize that this is an instrument that God is going to use for, for their judgment, for their refining, um, Babylon, the same thing. They're going to see that the, the exile has a purpose. It is a painful purpose. It is a refining purpose, but it is God's purpose. And they see then in, in the kingdom of Persia, they get an opportunity to come back to Judah, uh, to Judah and to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls of the city and to rebuild the temple. And the prophets will kind of help the people understand that God is doing this. Then in all of these world events, God is somehow weaving a purpose, weaving this story together. Assyria, Babylon, Persia will be used by God to bring judgment against Judah, to send the people to exile, to force a time of Sabbath for the land, and then to begin to restore the temple and the city. These kingdoms rise for a time, they rise for a purpose known to Yahweh. And yet we see the pride of empire also will be the downfall of empire. Graphic displays in these chapters 13 through 23 of empires, kingdoms, uh, countries, kings who once thought they were great beginning to collapse. Babylon, Moab, Damascus, Egypt and and some other uh, city names and and kingdom places, some large empires and, and some small kingdoms all beginning to collapse. Isaiah 14 points out the downfall of one of these kings, one of these empires. And he writes, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. And it's, it's tapping into some imagery from Canaanite mythology here, the, this, this wording. It was phrases that would have been known to the kingdoms around them. Um, in, in the Latin version of scripture, this is translated as Lucifer. This is actually where we get that The name for Satan or whatever, Lucifer, it's it's this day star, son of dawn. And Isaiah says, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. The one who once thought they were in charge of the world, who they were in control of everything, they were telling other countries what to do, is now being cut down. It says, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly on the heights of Zaphon. Uh, I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And there we have it. We have a pattern or a cycle of sin from the very beginning. Go back to the the beginning of scripture, back to the very uh, creation story uh, in, in Genesis where Adam and Eve are seeking to know good and evil for themselves in order that they might be like God. It's the whisper of the serpent. Eat this and you will be like God. Who doesn't want to be like God? And so they take things into their own hands. Or what about later in the story of Genesis, uh, chapter 11? We get the Babel story where people attempt to build a tower so that by their own ability, by their own strength, by their own uh, wisdom, by their own engineering marvels and everything, they might reach to heaven. They might be like God. Centuries later, here again, the story of Babel, Babylon, attempting to be like God, a king in an empire who believes that they are equals of God being brought low. It's the story of a king who's kind of gotten really full of themselves, looked around saying, look what I've built. Look what I've done. Look how I've ordered all of this stuff. I'm just like God. It's kind of a standard operating procedure in the ancient world that a king was the representative of God, and sometimes even made in a, in a godlike uh, level, lifted up, worshipped. But Isaiah says, you are brought down to Sheol. It's the, the realm of the dead, the grave, the depths of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? Who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities? Who would not let his prisoners go home? Is this the once mighty? Is this the one who thought he was all that in a bag of chips? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you are cast out away from your grave like loathsome carrion. Clothed with the dead, those pierced by the sword who go down to the stones of the pit, like a corpse trampled underfoot. Yikes. Some graphic language here. This, this pride, these lofty visions of grandeur, completely turned upside down, and this king will not have an honorable grave, but will be thrown out to be buzzard food. You will not be joined with them in burial, because you have destroyed your land and have killed your people. Within the context of Isaiah, this is about a king and an empire, or about the nature of earthly kings and earthly empires. Isaiah and the prophets of Judah realize that Yahweh is the one behind the scenes making nations rise and fall. They understand that that Yahweh is for a time raising up this empire to to work some of his his good, to work some of his plan in the world. They understand that, that Yahweh is the one God ruling everything. They see that Yahweh is using these nations as tools. But some of these kings and empires think that they are the ones causing their own rise. And they start to think that it is through their own strength and their own wisdom and their own might that they have become so powerful. And so it is with empires throughout history. A friend asked me uh, a while back about the way I use that word empire. And typically I use uh, empire as a way of talking about the self-seeking kind of power over others way of nations. What is, I use empire as a, a shorthand term to talk about that, to talk about the way government tries to run things. Even the, the most benevolent forms are ultimately self-seeking. Some empires have had some really good contributions to humanity, yet ultimately the way of empire is control, pride, self-seeking, and power Over even if they couch it in pseudo-religious language. Empires come in big and small forms, in all shapes and sizes, from Egypt and Babylon and Persia, Greece, Rome, down through the centuries, you name your empire, down to smaller relational connections, where one person tries to dominate, coerce, or manipulate another. Or even the empire we keep in our own lives where we look around and we say, see what I've done through my own strength. And here in the United States, we kind of, we, we kind of frame it in different language. You know, they're driven. Sometimes drive is a really good thing. And sometimes it kind of consumes us. And we say, look at what I've achieved. Look at what I've done. Look at what, I'm so smart. I've got everything built up. I'm doing it myself. Maybe even sometimes within the church, we can have this kind of prideful empire way of thinking and acting. When we attempt to build the kingdom on our own, I want to let you in on a little secret. Jesus has already inaugurated the kingdom. Jesus is already the king. And we just try to catch a glimpse and help others catch a glimpse. But we are not here to build our own kingdom. Or when we try to build our brand or our platform over and against other brands... There's a fine line uh, in in the church of using social media to encourage, to invite, uh, to provide resources for the church, and then saying, see what we are doing and building on our own strength. If the goal of our ministry, if the goal of our congregation, if the goal of Spring Creek Ever becomes about getting people just to come to Spring Creek instead of inviting people to see and experience the reign of God, we've crossed that line. I love you all. And I love what our life is like here at Spring Creek. Because I hope that people see a glimpse of the kingdom. But our mission is never just about filling these pews. Our mission, because it's the mission of God, is to proclaim the kingdom of God, not to proclaim the kingdom of Spring Creek. You know this is the story from the very beginning wanting to do things on our own and to be like God. The serpent whispers to Eve, you will be like God. At Babel, the people say, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heaven. Let us make our own way to heaven. And here in Isaiah, the empires of the world say, I will ascend, I will do it myself. Maybe we hear echoes of that in the kingdom or the empire that we live in. Look at what we've done. Look at what our hands have made. But what's the path of the coming future reigning king of Judah? This new branch of the stump. What's the position? What's the path that the Messiah takes? We read about it. Uh, Paul writes about it in Philippians 2. Where he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, though he's already ascended, though he's already at the top, though he is one with Yahweh, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing... By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, because he took that path, because the way that our king conquers is through giving up His own life. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, is King to the glory of the Father. See, the way of empire is self seeking pride. To say, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. But the way the reign of God or the kingdom of God is the way of Jesus. It is the way of service. It is the way of laying ourselves aside. So a couple lessons I want you to take home from Isaiah 14. Pride. Or attempting to be like God, to do things on our own, is part of the death dealing cycle from the very beginning. It's a cycle that each of us kind of lives into and continues. We try, we attempt to do things on our own. We like to think that we can be like God, we like to think we can rescue ourselves. truth is that individuals, nations, empires, and systems try to overcome, seek their own interests, and think that they can do it themselves, only to find out that they can't. But the coming king, the new branch to come that Isaiah is writing about, Jesus, decides to go in the completely opposite direction, and rather than trying to raise himself up, rather than trying to say, look what I've done, rather than trying to ascend and be an equal, he goes in the opposite direction. Rather than seeking to be like God, even though he is God, to do things his own way, to seek his own power and prestige, instead he empties himself and becomes obedient to death, even the death on the cross. I know what the Holy Spirit is, is working at and, and speaking into your life right now. Maybe you've looked around at, at your, your career, your, your business, your, your home, whatever's around you, and you've thought, look what I've done. It's only through the grace of God. So I want to invite you, if, if you need to make a confession that you've tried to do things on your own, tried to do things in your own way, I, I'm going to be up here this morning. I'm going to hang out up here. And I'd love to, to pray with you and um, just to uh, express the forgiveness that is, that is there and open and available for each of us this morning. Pride can be a dangerous thing. Trying to do things on our own, apart from the grace and the goodness of God, is a dangerous thing. And yet Jesus has come to make the way for us to be reunited to the Father.
2: As we conclude today's service, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you for a thousand generations, upon your family, on your children, and their children's children. May his presence go before you, behind you, beside you, all around you and within you know that the all-powerful God is with you may he be in your morning and in your evening in your coming and going in your weeping and rejoicing know the God who can do the impossible is for you and loves you the Lord bless you and keep you this week Go in his wholeness and always in Christ's name, amen.